What's going on, everybody? This is Mario Spata coming back with another episode of the MMA Fresh Take Podcast. Here to discuss results from two different cards that have happened here recently. UFC 223, UFC on Fox 29, Poirier versus Gaethje. Uh, the 223 card was, of course, the Habib Nurmagomedov versus Al Iaquinta fight. And so we'll, we'll take a look at both of those. We'll first take a look at UFC on Fox 29, since that's the fight card that has happened most recently. Unfortunately, I never was able to get to the UFC 223 results uh, portion of my podcast last week. I just never found the time to be able to do so, but we'll definitely touch on that later after we touch on the UFC on Fox 29 results. We'll give that first priority since that's what's most fresh in most people's minds, and a lot of people have already had some thoughts on UFC 223. So let's touch on Dustin Poirier defeating Justin Gaethje in the, what was it, the fourth, the third I believe it was the fourth round of the main event in in Glendale, Arizona. This was a fantastic fight. Another very entertaining fight to watch in, involving Justin Gaethje. He's never changed in that sense. He's always a fan-friendly fighter. Of course, um, just an incredible fighter to watch uh, compete. It's just unfortunate that in these last two fights that he's had, he's been knocked out, he's been stopped, he's been finished by his opponents, and it really shows the weaknesses of his fighting style, but let's get into this on Dustin Poirier. Poirier, fantastic with his boxing and with his striking ability this entire fight. Whenever he was able to keep it at a a nice distance and range, he was definitely able to avoid a lot of Justin Gaethje's big power punches that were thrown. He was missing a lot with those big power punches and he had a lot of wind up on them so Poirier was able to read that and really avoid a lot of the big shots. But what really hindered Dustin Poirier in this fight was Justin Gaethje going to that lead leg and just over and over and over again. I thought Justin Gaethje was actually going to win this fight. The reason being is I just believed that he was going to make the necessary adjustment in continuing to lead with his leg kicks first and then follow up with his power punches later, which is essentially what he was attempting to do. It was starting to work in that first in those first two rounds. I did believe that Poirier came away to winner of those first two rounds, especially the first. He was really tuning up Justin Gaethje on the stand-up, of course, and um, it was a very high-paced fight for for uh, for those for the standards of mixed martial arts. So I was very interested to see how the conditioning would hold up for both guys. But Dustin Poirier, just combo after combo after combo, uh, kept moving around, was definitely always... Uh, being the guy that was chased, Justin Gaethje was always trying to cut off Dustin Poirier, not really giving him any time to rest, and he just kept coming forward. So it was definitely a t- difficult style that both guys were fighting uh, with, but Dustin Poirier was able to land a lot of nice shots and combos in those first couple rounds, was able to defensively stay um, well-versed and defensively, wasn't getting hit too, too badly to the head, but Again, he kept getting hit with that lead kick, with that lead leg. He kept getting that uh, damage from Justin Gaethje. And Gaethje was just trying to bank those, I feel. The same way that Eddie Alvarez was banking his body shots against Justin Gaethje in, in their fight. 
I thought the difference was here is that Poirier... I started to sense a little bit of trouble for Poirier, and the reason why is because even though Justin had taken so much punishment and damage to the head, he wasn't really feeling the effects as much as I thought Poirier was feeling the effects with his leg kicks, right? So, and in the Eddie Alvarez fight, what became very apparent to me was that Eddie Alvarez defeated Justin Gaethje because of his, his body shot work. Once he got Justin to slow down, he had really attacked him very nicely to the body over and over and over again, got him to slow down, his conditioning was not as good later in the fight, and he was able to t continue to tee off with some head strikes, and then eventually get him knocked out with a couple knees, knee strikes as well. I thought Poirier was doing a fantastic job of boxing, winning those stand-up exchanges, but that he was going to slow down and Justin maybe not so much and was going to have a little bit better of a gas tank going into those later rounds because he's used to fighting this type of pace and he wasn't getting his body attacked the same way that he was in the Eddie Alvarez fight. Um, obviously, there was some issues with eye pokes. In that third round, I started to feel the tide turn quite a bit. I thought that Justin was clearly winning that round. It was becoming very apparent that the mobility of Dustin Poirier was dramatically hindered from uh, the first two three rounds in which he just kept getting that lead leg kicked he was trying to switch stances here and there so that he wouldn't put that uh, leg in in danger but it clearly was turned the tide was clearly turning and then Justin Gaethje pokes Dustin Poirier with a second eye poke Herb Dean takes takes a point away which I have no problem with he gave him a warning the first time that they stopped the competition due to the eye poke that Justin Gaethje had earlier in the fight and I think I just think that that's the way it has to be in mixed martial arts I mean you can't let guys just continuously poke these guys in the eyes there has to be some sort of consequence so even if you're a Justin Gaethje fan that's something that you should really understand especially you, you want these guys to be um, you you really want these guys to have the, an ability to fight without having any issues, and if that's hindered in any sort of way, you have to have to punish the guys, the other guys for doing it, and and dissuade them from doing it in the future. So I, I think that that's something that was actually pretty important. I know a lot of people did not like it. But I think that you would be more accepting of it if you saw it more consistently with the refs. And I think that that's on the refs for not having done that in the, in the past. And it's not going to happen in the future a lot. There's going to be a lot of refs that go, oh, you know, it's going to take three eye pokes for me to take a point away. That's far too many. It should be a warning and then a point. I think Herb Dean made the right call here. But in that sense, I saw the fourth round. I, I saw, okay, I, I think that this is going to go to a draw unless someone finishes one or, one or another, which I thought was very possible. But I thought Dustin won the first two. Justin won the third, but due to the eye poke, was going to had that point deducted, so that would be a draw round. And then I had a good feeling that Gaethje was going to come out and win the fourth and fifth based on that third round. Well, not the case. Justin Poirier landed a massive hook that really sent Justin Gaethje on Wobble Street. And uh, from there, he was just able to finish it off with uh, un a numerous amount of punches and other strikes that he was able to land. And uh, he got the he got the stoppage. It was quite crazy to see Justin Gaethje actually, after getting hurt really badly, again, on Wobble Street, uh, 
he he um, looked up at Dustin Poirier, made eye contact, said, "Come on, let's go, come forward," uh, essentially saying like, "You want to finish me? Like, let's do this." And um, he he brought the fight to him. A lot of people were saying that Justin sort of started wrestling in that sense, especially him being uh, such a highly touted wrestler back in his college days. Of course, as well, he's got phenomenal takedown defense. You saw that in this fight as well. Anytime Dustin Poirier tried to get him to the ground or did get him to the ground, it was very quickly uh, back up on the feet and uh Gaethje did a great job of defending the takedowns and then getting back off his back when he was briefly taken down for maybe a second or two. But that's just not the way that Justin Gaethje fights. I've watched a couple of his interviews from before the fight or after the fight. It just seems that he's very content with being the type of fighter that he is. He's not in there really to wrestle. If he has to, he has to. But it's almost like that would be a situation once you have to wrestle and he didn't so i just don't think that if you're a justin gaethje fan unless a a, a light bulb uh, turns on in his head that he's not he's not gonna rely on that and so you really shouldn't either he's gonna rely on that to keep the fight standing that's what he wants to do he even said himself he only has about five fights left who knows if that's true? You always hear fighters go, oh, I only have a year left. I only have two years left. And then in an interview, they go, well, well that was, you know, three years ago. And they go, oh, well, you know, that's because this changed, this changed, this changed. So you never know with Gaethje. Maybe he'll understand at some point that he wants to prolong his career and that he could do that with his wrestling and mixing it up. But um, he's just for the time being, I definitely would not rely on that. But for Gaethje, it's clear to me that his striking defense is not effective at all. He doesn't really have great head movement. He just shells up and then comes forward with his head down. I think that leaves him susceptible to, to strikes up the middle with his knees, of course, as well. And also, it's just not super effective with the type of gloves that you have in MMA. That's always going to be a little bit more effective in boxing because there's a, more, there's a lot more um, glove to deal with, a, a lot more to ricochet your strikes off of it's not very hard to get through a guard with mma gloves right so a defensive guard like that so i think with that being the case it's just not going to be effective for him to keep his hands up real tight put his head down and and then just keep continue to go forward you saw where dustin was able to have a lot of success even with the shots that didn't hand land super cleanly they landed cleanly enough because again the gloves are so small it doesn't take that much uh, space to get through a guard like that so i think that's a real issue for gaichi going forward we'll have to see what he does going forward it's going to be pretty interesting but um, if we're looking at the rankings right here, I think he needs to take some time off, of course, because he's now lost two back-to-back -back fights by TKO or, or KO, however, whatever the record says. But he definitely needs someone a little bit lower level at this point. Don't want to see him go against a guy of even Dustin Poirier's caliber. Um, so we'll see what happens with him going forward. But um, until that time, he just needs to take some time off. Maybe reevaluate a little bit. I thought his conditioning was a lot better than the past fight that involved him and Eddie Alvarez. But nonetheless, like I said, that could be attributed to the fact that not as many body shots were being landed on Justin. And with that being the case, I don't really know if that that uh, signals a massive improvement in any one area for him. Um, 
as far as Dustin Poirier goes, I think that you got to do the Eddie Alvarez fight. Now, he called out Habib Nurmagomedov. He, he did a fantastic job in this fight. He's looked fantastic. I thought he was winning that Eddie Alvarez fight. I think that he won this fight. He also defeated Anthony Pettis. So he's had some very impressive victories as of late. He's 23-5. and five. He's always been a guy that's looked at as having a ton of talent, but couldn't really get over the hump a little bit when it came time to face a Cub Swanson, a Chan Sung Jung, some of those type of guys, or even a Michael Johnson. But then he goes out and, in my opinion, was winning that Eddie Alvarez fight until the illegal knee was landed. He goes out and defeats a former champion, Anthony Pettis, and then he goes out and defeats Justin Gaethje in an all-out battle right there. So I think that he's definitely deserving of a high-profile fight, but at this point, there's just such a logjam at that lightweight division right now. I would say this. In order for Dustin Poirier to get a title shot against Habib Nurmagomedov, I think he's got to hope for a couple of different things. I think that he hopes for Barboza to defeat Kevin Lee next week. Then I believe that he's going to have to use hope that Tony Ferguson is not ready anytime soon after that knee surgery that he just had to to repair um, his some, one of his knee ligaments. And then you have to hope that Conor McGregor is not going to be back in time anytime soon due to his court issues that he's having with New York right now. And if that's the case, then I think that he's actually very much in line for a title shot. On the other hand, if Kevin Lee defeats Edson Barboza next week, then there's a possibility they might want to do Kevin Lee versus Habib Nurmagomedov because that's a marketable fight since Kevin Lee is a marketable uh, a personality, right? The other option is to do Eddie Alvarez versus Habib Nurmagomedov, which you could do, which probably would be a little bit more marketable. But So those are a different a few different scenarios right there. There is a possibility that Dustin does get that title shot. I just don't see how likely it is at this point. Um, I would say... I would say he's probably the, the UFC's third option if Connor and Tony are ruled out. So I think the best thing for Dustin to do is try to get that rematch with Eddie Alvarez. There's some unfinished business there. It was a fantastic fight that there was going on but I think that that's what they should do going next. Next fight, Alex Oliveira defeating Carlos Condit. So what was worrisome about this fight is I wondered, is Carlos Condit going to be, um, like, is he shopworn? Is he is he okay to fight? Is he, Like, what's the status of Carlos Condit in his career? He had lost three straight from, from uh, before this fight, and it was really a question of, how is he going to look in this fight? Is he going to look like BJ Penn against Yair Rodriguez? Or is he going to look competitive? He certainly looked competitive in this fight. There wasn't a whole a whole ton of stand-up. But I thought that the real issue against Alex Oliveira was going to be Oliveira has pretty good wrestling in his own right and has a lot of size. He's a massive, massive welterweight as well, I believe. It's a wonder how he ever got down to lightweight or even why he even attempted to fight at lightweight. It's incredible that that was the case. Um, Alex Oliveira, it looked like, ended up hurt after many, many scrambles on the on the, uh, on the the ground. It was an incredible jiu-jitsu back-and-forth match right there in the first and second rounds. I think that the key was that up kick that 
Oliver landed on Carlos Condit is he was trying to come into the guard or get into side control. He kind of caught him with an up kick, and you see Carlos kind of he was very much at least stunned because he rolled over very easily. Alex Oliver was able to roll over and and, and get and kind of sweep from that position, get up onto his feet. Once they got up onto the feet, Carlos Conda immediately went for a takedown, wasn't extremely aware of what was going on, it, it appeared to me. He got caught in that guillotine choke submission, and then it took a very, very long time. It seemed like he was going to outlast it, but he finally had the tap because Oliver just continued with the pressure, continued with the choke, continued with the attempt, and was able to get it after um, after after the end of the fight. So I think that this fight taught us that Alex Oliveira, he, Alex Oliveira is someone with incredible tools, with incredible physical tools. I think that he's got a really well. Uh, rounded game. I think that he takes a little bit too many risks sometimes. He's not super he's not all the time super effective with his decision making I, I believe. I think that he can get a little bit better at that especially when you take into account like the Yancey Medeiros fight in which that was a fight of the year contender as well but I just think that <clears throat> he was going to be the favorite in this fight because of those physical tools, because of that wrestling. He's got a r really well-rounded game, and Carlos Condit, again, he has always had issues with his takedown defense. I think they said in 22 UFC slash WC appearances, he's been taken down 17 times, so that's a real issue. But Oliveira, just fantastic job of getting that choke, of, you know, maintaining those scrambles, of, of going back and forth, and staying defensive when Carlos was on top as well. Uh, so great win for him. I think that that moves him up into the top 15 of the division. Carlos is going to drop him out for sure. Um, I just wonder where he is at this point in the division. It's a really stacked division. There's a lot of talented guys. There's a lot of younger guys in terms of not only their age, but also their experience and the fight mileage that they actually have on their bodies. So with that being said, I think that this guy needs to take, you know, a top 25 type fight. You know, if he wants to continue fighting, he really needs to get a win under his belt. This is four in a row for him. So uh, going forward, we'll see what happens. I don't think that he is extremely like shot porn or anything, but I do think that there is uh there is something going on where it, it's pretty clear that he's not that elite welterweight that he once was, especially having lost four straight. Israel Adesanya versus Marvin Vittori. This was a fantastic um, fight in test for Israel and Adesanya in the sense that I thought it was a good matchup with a guy who has a little bit of power with his punches in Vittori, but also has a little bit of more of has a much better grappling background than Israel Adesanya does. I was very intrigued to see what happened in this fight. Early on, Vittori came forward, was trying to land some huge shots against Adesanya. It took Adesanya a little bit to get into his own rhythm and try, try to figure out his opponent's timing, but once he did, he was just able to slip a lot of punches, duck a lot of punches, fantastic head movement, um, you know, just doing everything defensively, very defensively sound, was able to see pretty much all the shots coming. It was a a uh, concern a few times when he was leaning back, though. I mean, there was one time he 
leaned back, like, almost on a 90-degree angle, and he still almost got caught with a kick. So he needs to be very careful with that. Maybe against a higher-level striker than Vittori, that could be a real issue, and some guys could expose that part of his defensive game as far as the striking. But he could have also been so confident and so... Um, so so assured that his striking was so much better than Vittori's that he felt like he could get away with that. So if that's the case, I, I understand that. But against higher level competition with better striking, he definitely is going to need to make sure that he uh, is, stays aware with his defensive movement in that sense. Um, but he was able to get off a lot of shots of his own in those first two rounds and just was very difficult for Vittori to hit. There was a couple times when Vittori would really cut off the cage and really pressure him quite a bit that he was able to land something of himself, but it wasn't very often. It was very far and few in between, of course. So, uh, so I think that what I learned from this fight also is that once Vittori was able to get Adesanya to the ground, Adesanya definitely had some issues just uh, accepting the guard and really having to take a, a little while, a little bit of time before he could get back up onto his feet. The fact that he was able to get back up onto his feet was definitely a positive sign and showing that he knows how to get back up, but it's going to take some more training for him to be that pop-up like I get taken down and I just pop right back up the same way that Justin Gaethje did early in his fight against Dustin Poirier, right? So, But he's got very good takedown defense. It showed in this fight as well. Vittori was really trying to mix it up and saying and uh, saying that Adesanya's previous opponent, the reason why it was so easy to defend the takedowns for Adesanya is because it was very apparent that that's what he was trying to do. Vittori, on the other hand, said... He wanted to strike, kind of set up those takedowns, and he did do that, but it still wasn't effective enough, so I think that there's a lot of positive signs in Israel Adesanya's takedown defense game for sure. Um, I would say the two takeaways that I have that are negative about this is that he definitely is going to want to make sure that when he's has his head movement going when he's just leaning back with his hands down, he's going to have to make sure that he is very careful against guys in the middleweight division in the elite level, especially the better strikers than Vittori. And then if you can get him to the ground, I mean, there is a potential for if you have a very good ground game that you'll be able to smother him and keep him there. Um, you know, a lot of people have considered this guy to be like John Jones, the next John Jones, right? That's all we've heard. I've never had that comparison. John Jones is such a different fighter, in my opinion, than Israel Adesanya. Israel Adesanya has much better striking technique than John Jones does. Even though John Jones's physical tools allow him to use a diversity of different strikes and allow him to be very good with his striking, he is excellent striking-wise, but Israel Adesanya absolutely better with his strikes. John Jones has much better takedown offense and defense, which Israel doesn't have. And then I would say as far as the um, the, the jiu-jitsu goes, probably John Jones is a much better jiu-jitsu practitioner than Israel Adesanya. For that reason, um, I don't see them as being very comparable. I think that the hype is pretty comparable um, from for those two guys. But And I know that Israel doesn't like to be compared to anyone or doesn't like for people to compare him to other people, but I see him more as an Anderson Silva type. The 
positive thing about this is that I do think that he's got better takedown defense than than Anderson. Probably less of a jiu-jitsu game than Anderson, which can be an issue. But I also think that the real positive thing that I saw from this fight is that Anderson is that just with that comparison is Anderson was a guy that was always counter-striking. It could provide for some pretty boring fights. It could be provide for a lackluster offense on Anderson's side. But on this, for this guy, for Adesanya, it showed and it was very apparent to me that he can play both games. If he wants to be offensive first, he can absolutely do that, make up his mind, and go. And land strikes. He doesn't have to rely on someone coming forward on him. If someone wants to play the counter game to Adesanya, he can absolutely take advantage of that. And he'll absolutely still defeat them in that way as well. Anderson did not like to fight that type of style. But if someone's willing to come forward the way that Vittori came forward, he's absolutely willing to play this counter-striking game as well. So with that being said, I just think that his striking is very high level as far as his defensive abilities and as far as him being able to really fight any type of way he wants to on the feet, whether it's offensive, defensive, counter-striking, leading, that all works very well for him, and it's going to be very difficult for a lot of guys in this division. As far as who he should fight next, I think he should fight someone a little bit higher ranked than uh, Vittori in that middleweight division right now. But I don't think you need to do a lot more than what you did this fight. It's clear to me that he still has some issues to work on. He's still going to uh, continue to grow. After his last fight in which he defeated Rob Wilkinson, a lot of people are saying, man, this guy should be fighting for the title or like top five. It's like, guys, this Vittori fight shows you why you don't want to do that. If he fought Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero, Luke Rockhold, any of these guys right now, there is a potential with the type of talent and, and the type of potential that he has that he would be able to win that fight. But there's a, a much higher potential that he would have lost any of those fights right now because he does not have the experience necessary for those high-level athletes right now. If you give him a, you know, another guy of this level a little bit higher, then you start getting him into the top 15, top 10 range with two more fights. I think if he is able to win three those three fights in a row, I think then you can say, okay, let's get this guy a title shot because he's not super far away, but he does still have some things to work on. So I'm glad that they gave him Vittori to uh, start out with. I don't want them to give him... I don't want them to give him a really high-level guy. This shows that he still needs at least one more fight to kind of play around a little bit in the UFC octagon. And then after that, we can really see what he's capable of after uh, winning his next potential fight if he's able to do so and start giving him that top 10 talent. If he's able to beat two guys in the top 10 and he's looking fantastic, then I think that's when you give him the title shot. But he's still just 28 years old. Doesn't mean he's super young, but also means that he has some time. If you do three fights, that puts him about 29-30 by the time he gets a title shot. That is very, very reasonable when trying to manage a, a fighting career as well. I mean, there's possibility he never gets to that title shot, but I think with his skill, with his talent, there's a high likelihood that he will. The only other thing that I would say you have to caution yourself on is Israel Adesanya, 6'4". It's a wonder if he could get to that welterweight division um, or if he can put on some more weight so that he can be a little bit 
bigger in that middleweight division, but he looks like he's going to get dominated at some point by physicality in that middleweight division because there are some big, big guys. If he, You could imagine him going against Yoel Romero. He's taller than Yoel. He's taller than a lot of these guys, but his frame is very lanky. It, I'm not too sure how... His power translates to this 185-pound division, but he does look a little small for it frame-wise. Um, but who knows? We'll have to see what happens going forward, especially when he's fighting some of these bigger middleweights. Okay, and then the last, the first fight on the main card was Michelle Watterson versus Courtney Casey. This was a fantastic back-and-forth fight right here. I thought that Casey's size was really giving issues to Michelle Watterson in the striking exchanges, especially with her power ability as well. Watterson was able to get in and out very well in that first round, but as the first round came to an end, and as that second round started, it was very apparent that Watterson was slowing down a little bit, and you had to think that that was a possibility because it's very difficult to stay super defensively um, you, to keep that defensive movement up for 15 minutes, for 25 minutes. So with that being the case, it was becoming very apparent that she was going to have to go to her grappling in order to win this fight. She was able to get, every time she did get Courtney Casey to the ground, she was always being threatened with a submission, but she was very much staying defensively minded in those submission attempts. A lot of people were criticizing Watterson for getting into those uh, submission attempts in the first place, but I have to say, I just think that you're, she was fighting someone that was that's very good with her jiu-jitsu from her guard as well, but also look at the physical traits of Courtney Casey as opposed to Michelle Watterson. She was so much bigger in this fight, and she had such an ability from the ground and from her striking to, you know, take advantage of that, and I think that that's really what caught Michelle Watterson in a lot of issues, especially on the ground. It didn't take much for Casey, for Courtney Casey to get her, her, um, her feet on Michelle Watterson's hips, and it made it very difficult for Watterson to land ground and pound. I thought Watterson actually did a fantastic job from top, landing the damage that she was able to land, and then able to control, and then continuing to be able to control Courtney Casey and come out on top in most of those exchanges on the ground. I thought she did a fantastic job. I could understand where if you say, well. Courtney Casey was sub was uh, attempting a lot of submissions, was actually attempting to end the fight, where you could say maybe she should have won the fight, but I did see Watterson winning winning this fight. I thought that Courtney Casey should have used her ground ability to get up off the ground a lot more than she did, so that she could, and maybe she tried but wasn't successful, but in my opinion, it felt like she was accepting that she was going to be on the ground and had a lot of belief that she was actually going to submit Watterson, which there's no fault in believing in yourself in, in that. But I thought she had a very clear advantage on the feet, especially when Watterson was starting to slow down, especially when she was landing some big shots on Watterson. I thought she should have done a better job of getting back to her feet and really uh, sticking it to Watterson, but she didn't. Watterson gets to win in this one. Um, Fantastic fight for for these two women. Let's just touch on a couple of the prelim prelim fights. Not get really too much into it. Luke Sanders defeats Patrick Williams by a unanimous decision. Sanders has been someone that's been touted as a prospect. He gets his win with his last fight um, on the contract in the UFC. So that was a good win for him. He had Becky Lynch and Dolph Ziggler 
uh, rooting for him on the sidelines for the first fight of the night. So that was interesting. Alejandro Perez versus Matthew Lopez. Very good fight here. Matthew Lopez early on was able to t bring it to Alejandro Perez. Uh, Lopez looked as more as the grappler. Almost got the submission victory in that first round. Had his back for a little while. Was trying to get the choke. But Perez was doing a good job of defending that choke. A uh, couple nice scrambles on the ground. Uh, There's a couple times that Perez was in danger though when he, when he uh, had his back taken. And Lopez was able to land some nice heavy strikes on the feet in that first round. Perez finally started to get his range a little bit and took advantage of Matthew Lopez with his head down and, uh, you know, landed some nice strikes up the middle and was able to finish it with that with that knee and some punches afterward. Adam Wazorek, I, I, I know I'm pronouncing, I'm butchering that name. Adam Wazorek defeating Arjun Buller uh, via Oma Plata. That was an incredible finish for Adam Wazorek. It looked like Arjun Buller was definitely taking advantage of this fight. It looked really good on his feet. It looked like he had a lot of good athletic movement. He also looked like he had a good good amount of power on his punches, was able to wrestle and take down Adam at any point in the fight, and definitely looked like he was just going to go on to dominate this. But Adam got into a position where he was able to lock in that omoplata. Very, very difficult to see. I believe it's the second ever omoplata in the UFC history. So very historic good win for Adam. Uh, Arjun Buller, a guy who's come, you know, come out with a lot of hype behind him being from India, I believe. Um, you know, he wore the turban to the octagon, which I think was the first time ever. Of course, if you you follow Ariel Hawani a lot, he definitely has followed this guy very, very closely. But I don't think that this is in the road for him. It is disappointing that he lost, you know, in this way, especially when he was dominating the fight. But he does have a lot of good traits to him. He just is definitely going to need to shore up his jiu-jitsu game if he got submitted by a submission like that, in which most people wouldn't. So um, he he definitely has some things to work on, but his wrestling, his striking, his power, those all looked very, very good for him. So uh, just go back to the drawing board. A lot of t times these heavyweights, especially even prospects, will lose early on in their career. And then as they shore up their game, they show massive amounts of improvement. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that from Buller uh, going forward. Yushin Okami defeating Diego Lima, just blanketing Diego Lima. Lima obviously had some issue with his ribs, but also, even if he didn't, I believe that this fight would have gone the same way, just was smothered by Yushin Okami's grappling. Uh, Okami didn't really land a whole bunch of damage until, you know, about the last minute of the third round, but did enough. He kept busy the whole time. He was dominant on the ground and just did a fantastic job of not letting Lima get off in any sort of way. You had, let's see, Muslim Salikov defeating Ricky Rainey by KO punches. I thought that Ricky Rainey was very big for this fight against Muslim Salikov. It really gave Salikov some issues, but Salikov was able to be more technical and uh, eventually was able to get that that uh, I think it was a right hook over the left ear 
of uh, Ricky Rainey, and that put the lights out for him. He also bounced his head off the canvas a couple times with some ground strikes following that up and really uh, put the lights out for Ricky Rainey, but still has some issues to work on. I think that he was very highly touted as a prospect coming into the UFC, but there's definitely some issues with him. He's got some nice spinning attacks and things of that nature, but I think that he needs to switch up his striking a little bit more. It definitely it utilize those kicks that he has, you know, but like some just leg kicks needs to be a little bit more standard. Doesn't need to rely on those spinning attacks as much because the UFC, that can definitely uh, be a detriment to you. I thought Ricky Rainey was fighting his type of fight, was coming forward, putting the pressure on, landing some heavy strikes when he could, and, and, and really just trying to take it to Muslim, not really giving him a lot of space to work with. But he just got caught in the end and, and wasn't able to get the win in this fight, but actually looked pretty impressive in his own right. So there's also John Moraga versus Wilson Hayes, unanimous decision for Mar Moraga. There's a fantastic back and forth comp competitive matchup here in the flyweight division for these two guys, but Moraga was able to come out on top. Really could have given it either way. I couldn't even tell you, you know, who really wanted to fight myself. It was very, very close, so I really had no idea, but, um, good competition there. Brad Tavares defeating Christoph Jocko. TKO punches Tavares looking fantastic in this fight. Just really um, dominating this fight and then you know got the finish to end the night so he looked fantastic. Was in really really good shape and in, in some better shape than I've seen him in most of his career. Uh, Tavares has been one of those guys where I thought he was going to write uh, rise into ranks at some point, get into that top 10 uh, position and possibly into that top 5 and start competing with some of the elite in the division. It appeared like that wasn't going to happen, but now with the streak that he's been on lately, maybe there's a possibility. I, I do want to see him against some of these ranked guys and see what he can do because I think he's got a a lot of good physical traits. I think he's actually a pretty smart fighter in his own right, pretty well-rounded. Um, he's just got to put it all together, but it seems like he's been uh, getting much, much better here lately. It looked like he plateaued for some time in his career, but it looks like he started to pick up on that improvement once again. So this is his time to really start going forward in that division and start competing with the elite once again. Um, then you had, let's see... Antonio Carlos Jr. defeating Tim Boach via submission rear naked choke. Antonio Carlos Jr. just looks absolutely physically dominant in that middleweight division. Very, very big middleweight. This is kind of what I was talking about against Israel Adesanya. You got middleweights like Antonio Carlos Jr. competing in that division. That is crazy. Uh, the, the size difference between a guy like him and Adesanya is very apparent. So that's where... You know, just going back and touching on that, you look at guys like this, and that's why it makes me wonder if Adesanya is going to have some physical issues going into the upper echelon of the division. But as far as Antonio Carlos Jr. was concerned, did a fantastic job of staying physical himself, landing some hard, hard, or at least throwing some hard, hard strikes. Once he got to the ground, there was no doubt it was over. Get that submission rear naked choke in. He kind of had it over the chin, 
you know, Boch had his chin in, but his squeeze was just so powerful that he was able to slip it in underneath. And, and then once that happened, it was it was just a matter of time to see, okay, is Boch going to go out or is he going to tap it? It's, it's really his decision. However, he's going to lose this fight, but he is going to lose that fight. So Carlos Jr. looking very impressive. Definitely want to see what he does next in that division as well. Then you had Lorne Mueller versus Shayna Dobson in a unanimous decision. I thought this was a fantastic showcase for the flyweight division in the women's flyweight division. Uh, Dobson came out with some good, good power. She was able to, you know, land some nice strikes of her own, especially in that second round. But I thought Lauren Mueller had better um, technical striking at certain points in the fight and then also just had a little bit better movement it was a little bit more diverse with her attack, and she was able to get the win, but a very, very close fight. I like, I definitely like what I saw out of Lauren Mueller. I actually really like what I saw out of Shayna Dobson as well. Definitely pretty interested to see what goes on going forward in this fight. But I thought Mueller did a fantastic job with her movement in that first round. It was clearly showing that, you know, due to some of the punishment she had taken, some of the pacing of the fight, that she wasn't able to keep that up over all 15 minutes, but I'd definitely like to see if she's able to improve on that, what type of fighter she can evolve into. I think she's got a lot of talent, and she should be someone to look forward to in that women's flyweight division if she can be a little bit more consistent round-to-round round rather than, uh, you know, winning that first round. I think she I think she lost that second and then won the third, but it was a very, very close fight. Uh, definitely could have gone the other way, but I think they got it right here. And then this was, <laughs> guys, this is what I was most excited for in the prelims out of coming out of yesterday's fights. Gilbert Burns versus Dan Moret. I mean, incredible, incredible, incredible. Gilbert Burns looks super athletic, looks very much more comfortable on the feet now. I know this was against a guy that was last-minute replacement and, uh, you know, not very highly touted or anything, but his hand speed looks fantastic. He's got tons of athleticism. I was listening to Luke Thomas talking about how, you know, his some of his technical striking has actually very much improved, and he's not just going out there just throwing shots. I mean, he looked like a guy that knew exactly what he was doing on the feet. He's obviously, I don't think, in my opinion, ever going to be like an Israel Adesanya, Stephen Thompson, or even like a Conor McGregor or anything like that as far as his striking abilities. But he's got a big, big power punches. He's very quick, very twitchy, very fast. Um, I really like that about his striking. He's seeming to not only improve with his power and his speed, but also with his technique, which is very important. Uh, what's going to where we're going to actually see how good a striker he is is against another good striker who can, uh, you know, counter off of him. Is he going to be one of these guys that is, uh, you know, like Frankie Edgar, right? Is he actually a true good striker who has some good defensive qualities? Or is he more like a Rafael de Sanjos who has very good pacing, very strong striking, but can be picked apart, you know, due to some defensive liabilities? But um, that's going to be interesting going forward. But that's what makes him a very exciting prospect because this is a guy that is absolutely 100% dominant on the ground, has good offensive wrestling himself. Um, this is a guy that is very dangerous in so many areas, very well-rounded. I think that the lightweight division, this could be a guy that no one is wanting to face anytime soon. I mean, 
think about it. A guy that is that high level on the ground, it's almost like Jacare Souza, right? When he was in his prime, nobody wanted to face him. But Jock, but he's got better striking than Jacare Souza, I believe, at this point. And the reason why no one wants to face him is because you take him down, you're in trouble because he's fantastic on the ground. If he takes you down, you're in trouble because he is absolutely better than you on the ground. He's going to submit you. If you stand up, yeah, there's a good chance if you're a great striker that you're going to beat him. But now he has major power in the sands and he's improving technically in his striking. That makes him super dangerous in all areas. With that being the case, I think that it's going to be tough for this guy to get some really high-level fights in the lightweight division. But I really want to see him against a top 15 ranked opponent next. I really want to see him tested, see what he can do. I think this is a guy who is ready right now to compete with those type of, with those, uh, type of guys right now. So that's all I have for UFC on Fox 29. Let me know what you think. It was a very long card, 14 fights, the most they've had in like since the 90s or something like that. So it was an incredible night of fights. I would actually give this fight card... <laughs> I'd give this fight card an A-. minus. I mean, it, fantastic action. A lot of good star power on here. Um, you know, not the star power of, you know, some of those New York cards in Madison Square Garden. So that's kind of why I give it an A-, minus, just because uh, I think those A-plus cards are, you know, for that New York card, right, where you had Rose Nami Yunus versus Yolanda Yonjacek, um, you know, George St. Pierre versus Michael Bisping, and then TJ Dillashaw against Cody Garbrandt. Three title fights, they all changed hands. Fantastic fights, right? I mean, these were fantastic fights. Uh, so I would say... Solid A minus, um, but definitely a great card in its own right. So uh, that's all I have for that. If you have any other thoughts about that card, let me know at Sabata MMA on Twitter. At Sabata MMA on Twitter. Uh, some fantastic fights and what you would like to see going forward for the winners of the night and uh, what you would like to see out of Carlos Condit. I'm actually pretty interested. You think it's time for him to retire, or are you like me? You think that he's still competitive, not shot-born, but just not as competitive as he once was. All right, next is UFC 223, Habib Nurmagomedov versus Al Iaquinta. We're going to touch on this fight card very, very briefly. May not even talk about the um, all of the fights, but just the main points of it. Habib Nurmagomedov versus Al Iaquinta. Very good, very good fight right here. I was so excited when I left this fight, and the reason why was because... I learned a lot about Habib Nurmagomedov. Um, first off, major props to Ally Quinta. Came out, was very aggressive early on, had that real wrestling stance very low to the ground, wasn't able to use his striking to the best of his ability because Habib took him down so much in those first three, two rounds, I believe. And, um, you know, he didn't land a huge amount of damage, but definitely dinged the Ally Quinta up very much so. But Al, very competitive, throwing his own power shots of himself, uh, landed a few in this fight. But just overall, you know, was definitely hesitant later in the fight, wasn't able to let go of his hands, and then just got a little bit jabbed to death in this fight as well. But I just think that with the fact that he was just worried about the takedown the whole time, that really did a hindrance to his ability to provide his own offense when he did strike. But Habib, I mean, gets out to the ground, did a very good job of that. 
But um, this is what I would say coming out of this fight. Habib is definitely susceptible in those later rounds. I don't think that that's any surprise to anybody, in my opinion. I thought he started to slow down in the Edson Barboza fight. But Edson Barboza is not as good a wrestling uh, you know, defender or takedown artist as an Al Iaquinta, who actually does have a wrestling background. So I think that's why Al was actually able to defend some of these shots in those third and fourth rounds. And um, I do think that that style of, you know, ground and pounding, you know, dominating on the ground offensively for the first two rounds for 10 minutes, it is very taxing on the person that is being offensive as well. If you have a guy on the ground that's able to take it, really kind of manage the damage that's being taken on the ground, I think that gives them a good likelihood, especially if they have fantastic cardio, to come back in those third, fourth, and fifth rounds and steal those rounds away from Habib when Habib's not as fresh, not as consistent with his takedown abilities. Um, with that being said, I think that you can take advantage of some of Habib's weaknesses. Now, what you saw in this fight is that in those third, fourth, and fifth rounds, you're going to have to be A, super confident in your takedown defense, and B, super confident in your quick striking. So you're going to, because you're going to have to be confident that Habib's not going to take you down again. Otherwise, you're going to be like Al, very hesitant to throw again, even though you feel like I am the better striker. And then Habib was actually able to win those stand-up exchanges with his jab consistently because he was just kind of taking taking it easy and said, well, I, you know, if I can just jab this guy to death and he's just so scared to throw because he thinks I'm going to take him down again, uh, that's defense for him. So basically his offense provides defense for him later in the fight because he was able to stunt Ally Quinta's offense just by having taken him down so many times earlier in those first two rounds and without not wanting to... Um, risk it in in those third fourth and fifth rounds and then obviously what I learned is that in that fifth round if Habib needs to get that takedown again he needs to grind it out he certainly can do so he doesn't have the worst cardio I just think that it it is taxing on him to have the style of fight that he does have it's going to be very difficult for him to do that for 25 minutes straight the way that most people think he would it is going to be difficult for someone to survive that 25 minutes straight but again, it's going to be taxing for him to get that takedown over and over again, continuously control on the ground, and then, uh, and then um, you know, do it one, over and over again for 25 minutes straight. With that being said, I've always told y'all that I thought Connor beats Habib, Habib um, beats Tony, and Tony beats Connor. I now feel a little bit differently. If you had a prime Connor, prime Tony. Prime Habib. I actually think Habib would defeat Conor McGregor at this point. The reason being is because I think that he takes Conor down. I think it's a Conor has some cardio issues of himself, so wouldn't be able to take advantage of any cardio issues that Habib does have with his game plan in those third, fourth, and fifth rounds. And it's very apparent to me that Conor's power is most effective in those first two rounds when he's nice and fresh, feeling good to go. And I just think at this point in time, it's going to be almost impossible to stop a takedown from Habib in those first two rounds, especially if it gets you up against the cage. I think Connor still has a chance because he has such accurate uh, laser-like fantastic striking, and he could certainly catch Habib coming in because Habib's 
uh, striking even in this fight is still pretty elementary rudimentary right so it's very it's very basic still even though he had success standing I think it's still extremely basic and still can be taken advantage of very much so but Connor's gonna have to land early and put him away very very early before it gets to the ground uh, not only once but maybe even twice right on the other hand I think that I think that Connor still loses to Tony for the issues that I've said in the past. I think that Tony has a much better version of Nate Diaz matchup-wise against Connor. So if he lost against Nate, I think he'll lose against Tony. And I actually do think, though, that now Tony Ferguson would beat Habib Nurmagomedov. Before, I thought Nurmagomedov would defeat um, Tony Ferguson, but I no longer think that. I think that if... I think the key here was that Al wasn't was one of the first to not take as much damage as say Annette and Barbuzz or some of these other guys in these fights against Habib. I think Tony Ferguson would have the same ability to manage the damage in those first two rounds, would still get taken down, but would also be able to land some offense off his back as well with some of his elbows and things of that nature. I think it would make Habib tired, and Tony has fantastic cardio, fantastic cardio conditioning with him, and with that being the case, I think that he would be able to take advantage, defend some of those shots in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, and actually do some damage to Habib, and possibly even finish him as well, so I think that that I now think that if Ferguson was 100% healthy, he would have the best shot at actually being the best lightweight in the world. Um, but that's just my opinion. So let me know what you think of that. Again, Alaquinta did a fantastic job. I, I really liked this fight because I felt like I actually learned something from this fight, even in a dominating fight with that being the case. If you agree with me, let me know. If you don't, that's fine. Uh, let me know. I mean, at Sabata MMA on Twitter. Let's move on to the next fight. Rosnama Yunus versus Joanna Jacek. Fantastic fight. Rosnama Yunus using her length, using her athleticism, her movement to really stunt Joanna's game and really be able to counter against Joanna. Um, but Joanna did a fantastic job job of landing those leg kicks to really hinder the movement of Rose Namajunas. I thought that the first two rounds to Rose, first, second two rounds, third and fourth, went to Joanna uh, as she got into her rhythm, really started to impress with that, that, with that striking style that she has. And then I thought, <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I, I, <laughs> I'm not too sure, um, I, I thought that Joanna won that fifth round. I thought Joanna won the fight. I thought she was out striking Rose by a good margin. And then I didn't think that that was enough for Rose to take the fight when she got that takedown. But essentially did nothing with it. She controlled it. But she didn't really land any damage. Didn't really, um, you know, attempt any submissions or anything. In fact, Joanna was just about to get up as a bell rang so I thought Joanna was getting her title back but nonetheless very close fight so I can't really be uh, too upset about that or anything like that and then on the other hand uh, the power of Rose's punches were definitely more significant than what Joanna was putting out there so with that being said uh, Rose was fantastic in this fight I mean I thought Joanna would win this fight with her uh, striking ability I thought okay I think Rose definitely has a power advantage and that's why she won the first one but I think Joanna will with a better weight cut will have a better ability to, to absorb the damage which it was very apparent that was true but 
nonetheless, her movement is what really impressed me in this fight. A lot of people are saying that she's going to have a real issue against a potential fight against Andrade. I think a little bit opposite of that. I think her movement showed that she is going to be fantastic and very hard to keep up with in a fight against Andrade. She's very tricky on the ground as well. She's going to be able to um, land some of her own offense and base in in you know, have some of her own submission attempts if it does go down there. I think that sometimes she has a little bit less of an ability to defend takedowns than even Joanna does, so maybe Andrade would be able to get it to the ground, but I think that she would ultimately be able to pick her apart, um, and that being Andrade, you know, during the fight and able to land some nice power punches and maybe even hurt Andrade really badly. I just think that she's getting very much better in her striking, more precise, uh, and with precision comes a little bit more power, I believe, in some of these technical aspects, the way that Connor described it. And um, with that being said, I mean, Andrade is definitely a, a powerhouse. She has a very good chin. She's absorbed a, a good amount of punishment without wearing it badly at all on her face. Um, but I just think that Rose is a talented, more well-rounded fighter, and she would be able to get this victory. But it would be interesting because Rose, it would be interesting to see what the condi- how the conditioning holds up against a guy, a girl like Jessica Andrade, who has phenomenal cardio and can go like, can fight that type of uh, pressure movement style uh, for all five rounds. Hanato Carnero uh, Moicano was actually defeating actually defeated Calvin Cater. I, I picked Calvin Cater to win this fight, but I thought what happened here is basically, I, I kind of foresaw it a little bit. I thought if Moicano was going to use his leg kicks that he would have a major advantage in this fight. I think he did. He really made it tough for Calvin to the body, which landing fantastic body strikes and with that was able to open up his arsenal for his whole Muay Thai game and was very well rounded. Cater I thought was landing those better boxing exchanges in early in that first round but it was became very apparent that Moicano with his diversity of strikes with his kicks with his body shots going to the head as well I thought it was just a fantastic all-round game plan for Moicano. I really liked seeing that he was able to learn from his past fight and go, okay, this is what I need to do a little bit differently. Here are my strengths, and here's how I can mix it up. He's not very predictable with those Muay Thai strikes, and I think that that's very important because I think Muay Thai fighters can be very predictable at points, and that's why like a guy like Conor McGregor exposed uh, you know, Jose Aldo's tendencies. A guy like Max Holloway is able to take advantage of Jose Aldo's tendencies, right? Because some of these Muay Thai guys can be a little bit predictable, and when that happens, it can mean really bad business for them, especially when they're getting countered. But Carnero, I think, really mixed it up very well in this fight and showed a lot of ability. Definitely excited to see what he does next going forward. Um, be very interested to see what his next step is. There's a lot of good uh, contenders in that featherweight division right now. Uh, Chris Grutzmacher defeating Joe Lozon by TKO. Unfortunate here, Joe Lozon came out with his hair on fire, um, really took it to Grutzmacher, but um, then Grutzmacher was just able to over and over and over and over just land uh, the same combinations that he was able to. Lozon just turtled up after a while, and, and that stoppage came. Um, I'm about to talk about let's see, it's a beat, but just want to go over these other ones. Olivier Aubin-Mercier defeating 
Evan Dunham TKO via knees and punches, so good win there for Olivier Aubin Mercier, and then he kind of goes away with the Canadian gangster thing after the whole Conor McGregor fiasco last week, and now the Canadian gangster uh, thing has stuck to him, so like it there. Ashley Evan Smith defeating Beck Rawlings in unanimous decision. Devin Clark defeating Mike Rodriguez by unanimous decision as well. Carolina Kovacavich defeating Felice Herrig by split decision. I didn't really see this being a split decision fight. I thought this very much was Kovacavich's fight. I just thought that she was just a little better striking, but still extremely impressed by Felice. She was able to land a good amount of strikes herself on the feet as well, but I just thought that the... Um, experience of Kovacavich being a striker just really showed in this fight. She was just a little bit better, a little bit quicker, a little bit smarter and more intelligent in this fight when it came to the feet. So definitely like to see what is next for her, especially now that Rose Namajunas has won. She does have a win over Rose Namajunas, so it's potential that she could get that next title shot as well, especially with that impressive victory over Felice. I think Andrade does get that next title shot because she's had some... Uh, better wins here as of late, but if Kovalkiewicz is able to get even one more win under her belt, she could definitely have that be in line for that rematch over uh, with Rose Namajunas. Now let's get to the fight that I really want to talk about: Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus Kyle Bokniak. Decision, unanimous decision victory for Zabit Magomed Sharapov, no doubt about it. But here's what I would say about this: everyone is very, very high on this guy. But I've actually been quite impressed to see that there is some criticism on, on him. Um, and I would like to touch on that a little bit. Kyle Bokniak was a guy that I believe should have been put away by Zabit. He it was far... Uh, Zabit was far more superior fighter than Kyle Bokniak. Again, had much better tools and should definitely have won this fight. He was able to dominate when he wanted to grapple him. He was able to get him to the ground, keep him there... Um, you know, he's got fantastic, fantastic physical tools with him. I mean, he is a massive, massive featherweight as far as his size. It makes me wonder how long he's going to be able to make that weight to 145. I think at some point he's going to have to go up to 155, and it could be sooner than later uh, than you think. Like, I, I think that maybe he's got one, two more years left at one, 145, and then he's, this big boy is going to have to go bet go up to 155 I really do think that that's just how enormous he is but I would say this I mean he had some striking issues uh, I thought I think that he takes too many unnecessary risk with some of his strikes with his diversity I think that when he gets pressured he definitely leaves himself a little bit open to um, get hit with some real high level experienced strikers I think that he's going to be a lot more challenged than most people think I think that also that his his wrestling and grappling is very good but uh, some of these higher level guys are going to have an answer for him and be able to defend it to some extent so uh, definitely I would say championship level potential absolutely yes no doubt about it but when he called out Yair Rodriguez a lot of people were saying oh Yair is going to lose that fight I wouldn't be so quick to say that I mean Yair has taken a lot of time off since that fight loss 
to Frankie Edgar. I'd be very intrigued to see what his wrestling takedown defense ability, how it's grown since then. But also, when you have a guy like Yair, who's as good a striker as he is, as big as he is, and would be able to match up with some of the measurables as far as his physical traits are against Zabit, and also be able to measure up with some of his striking techniques as well. I think that's a very competitive fight. I think early on right now, if you had to ask me, because Zabit Magomed Sharapov clearly has better grappling abilities than Yair, I think that I would favor him being able to get a couple takedowns and you know control enough on the ground to where he could win. But if that fight were to stay standing, I'd see that as being a very competitive fight. Magomed Sharapov absolutely has some championship qualities to him, and he's going to be extremely exciting to watch going forward. But I'd like to see him eliminate some of those uh, you know spinning attacks. Some of these spinning attacks, I mean, they, they need to come into play once every once in a while. It cannot be your lead striking ability. Your 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 punches, your hooks, your 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 strikes, your leg kicks, your body kicks, those need to be what you lead with and then you you know, you take a special strike and you use it every once in a while and you try to get that finishing um strike in there, of course, right? So definitely not upset with him having the ability, but I think that there's a smarter way to fight for him. I did was very intrigued by the fact that it clearly showed to me that he was starting to slow down a little bit in that third round and that the pressure was being a little bit, uh, you know, the fact that Bokniak was coming forward with the pressure constantly definitely, definitely bothered him. So it we'll see what happens going forward with Matt. Magomed Sharapov, but the same way that I felt against with Adesanya, fantastic physical abilities, fantastic abilities, uh, technique-wise as well. Let's just slow down with Magomed Sharapov. I think that a fight with Yaya Rodriguez would actually be a very fun fight to have and um, would be a very good test for him, but I wouldn't clearly say that he should be the the clear and away favorite. I think it's a much closer fight. You know, he should be the favorite, but... Wouldn't all be surprised to see him fail that test and then come back a better better uh, fighter at some point. But um, definitely has a lot of ability to him. Very excited to see what he does next. I know that I kind of took a negative turn on him, but I just thought we need to slow the hype train just a little bit. Let's see him against some better competition than Kyle Bokniak, who's not very talented striking-wise. Um, unfortunately, he's just a dog. I mean, that was a fantastic fight. He was just a dog. I mean, it was it was fantastic to see. But um, but uh, like I said, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, championship quality. But let's see, he's still got a long way to go. Um, not as long as maybe an individual Azasanya because he's got a more well-rounded game. But you know, let's just slow the roll a little bit. But definitely deserving of the recognition. So let me know what you think of UFC 223, what you thought of my comments as well on Habib Nurmagomedov, um, as well as the beat Magomed Sharapov, as well as Rosnami Yunus versus Joanna Jacek, or anything else that you would like to um, discuss at Sabata MMA once again. So sorry I wasn't able to get that results uh, podcast out last week about UFC 223, but wanted to come on here uh, today, talk about UFC on Fox two or 29, Poirier versus Gaethje, which was fantastic. UFC 223, which was marred by the whole Conor McGregor issue. I don't, I'm not going to really talk about McGregor. I was pretty <laughs> upset about that last week. Um, we'll just have to see what goes 
goes uh, goes on for, going forward with Connor. Um, as more news, relevant news comes out about him, then we'll start discussing him on the podcast once again. Until then, guys, have a good one and enjoy the fights next week. It's Kevin Lee versus Edson Barboza. Can't wait to watch that. It's going to be a fa- another fantastic card, so uh, we'll see what we have going forward, and that's going to be Frankie Edgar versus Cub Swanson as well in the co-main event. All right, guys, until then, have a good one. Bye.